Scotty read this morning from Isaiah 9 on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And the title of this message is, Let There Be Light. And no, that was not inspired by recent rolling blackouts imposed by the Tennessee Valley Authority. Um, But it is no coincidence that Christmas is the season of lights. And so whether you're like the Smith family and you limit those extra lights in your house to the Christmas tree, or whether you are inspired to be the Clark Griswold of your neighborhood and want to put lights all over the house, uh, there is no denying that you drive through any community in our culture, in our land, and we see that this is a season of lights. Because of one simple word, Emmanuel, God with us. And we think about that for a moment. God was with us because the light of the world stepped down into darkness. In John chapter 8 verse 12, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't that good news, church family? That if we follow Him, we don't walk in darkness. That we will have the light of life. And what are we asked to do? We are asked to then, in turn, to be light to those around us. The light of the world took on flesh and bone and made his dwelling among us. And we sing that song that says, Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. And in Matthew chapter 2, we read of some folks going to visit this new king. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 Uh, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
After that, they heard the king. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we know from reading over in Luke chapter 2 that when it came time for on the eighth day for them to present Jesus in the temple because that was the custom, that was the requirement is that the firstborn male in a Jewish family would go and be presented in the temple. And we know from reading that that Mary and Joseph are poor because what they bring as an offering are the two birds. Now, in the Levitical law, it requires a different offering. But it stipulates that if the family is poor, they can bring birds as their offering. And so, there were Mary and Joseph bringing birds for their offering that signify that these people were poor. And so these magi come, and they're also known as wise men and kings. Very likely that king reference coming from Isaiah 60 or Psalm 72 when it says that kings will come and bow down to him. Isaiah 60 telling us what the gifts would be. And so here those prophecies are fulfilled. And they bring those valuable, precious gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Items, incidentally, that would have been found in the tabernacle or the temple. Items that, incidentally, are very valuable. These items had universal currency in this culture. And so if we were to read on in Matthew, we would see that this family had to flee to Egypt. Now, if you know anything about travel, travel costs money. And so you're going to go and you're going to stay somewhere and you're going to go and you're going to have to eat out, so to speak, then it's going to cost more money than if you're home eating the ham sandwich. Right, church? That's just how how it is with travel. And I don't know about y'all, but when we travel, we tend to eat better and we tend to shop more. And so, yes, uh, we uh, when we go out of town, you know, it's that feeling of, hey, I don't want to eat any place that we have back home, right? So we're not doing Hardee's or McDonald's. We're, we're eating at nicer places. And so, uh, think about it. You're poor, and you're getting slapped by evil. And some of you know what that's like. Maybe you've not had a ruthless king named Herod after you wanting to kill your child, okay, because of pure evil and jealousy. But maybe you know what it's like for life to kind of keep kicking you in the teeth. You know what it's like to hurt. 
You know what it's like to feel sort of down and out. You've had those seasons in your life where things didn't always go well. And so here they are. They've taken on a role that they were chosen for. They didn't sign up. They didn't volunteer. They didn't ask. But God chose them. And so they're about to embark on a journey to a different country. And what is given to them in honor of this child but gold, frankincense, and myrrh? God funded their trip, I think, with these gifts. How many times in life can you look back and say, I got what I needed just in time? Yeah. God's been doing it for thousands of years, brothers and sisters. And He's not going to stop now. And that's good news, isn't it? Yeah. Like, how in the world would we have funded this trip? I wonder if they ever said. Without those dudes showing up from the faraway land in the east and bringing us gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Things so valuable that people poor like Mary and Joseph could probably have never imagined what it was like. I had a conversation with a friend the other day and he said, I'd like to know what it's like you know, to have a million dollars. And I said, yeah, I would too. You know, <laughs> that, that, I, I could do some good with that. I could do some good with that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't change my life in the sense that it doesn't buy happiness. It doesn't, you know, I, I, I lived long enough to know that. Some of the most miserable people I've known were people who were wealthy. And I go to a place like Honduras and some of the poorest people on the planet are some of the happiest people I've ever been around. And so we know it doesn't buy happiness, but I I think I could fund some good with it. That's for sure. But here they are thinking, just imagine looking at each other and saying, did you ever think we would have, somebody would bring us this stuff? And then they find out not too much longer in the future why God provided them with that stuff. That was their traveling money. Because God provides for His people. And yes, sometimes He provides just in time. Just so we will know this isn't anything I've done. This is from the Lord. And so, uh, as we move along, I want us to take a look at Luke chapter 2. A well-known passage of Scripture. I read it in this auditorium a few weeks ago when we had breakfast with Santa. But Luke 2, beginning with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, the word used in Luke 2, 14 for peace is this Greek word, irini. And it means uh, exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Peace between individuals. Security. Safety. Prosperity. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Oh, I love that definition. Let me read that again, church family. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Yeah. Oh, y'all did good right there. You amen to just the right spot. Yeah. Man, that... The soul is assured of that kind of peace. Now, according to Isaiah's prophecy, not only did the birth of Jesus bring everlasting peace, but peace that would also increase. Everlasting and ever-increasing peace are brought to us by Jesus. The word Isaiah used for peace is that Hebrew word shalom. And it means more than just the absence of war or turmoil. It means completeness, safety, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, friendship with God and friendship with others. And that is why the Jewish people often used it as a sort of greeting. This, this greeting that would say not just hello or how's it going, what's up, but this greeting that would say, I care for you enough as another human being that I wish you this kind of peace, that I wish you completeness, that I wish safety upon you. And so that is the concept of peace that God gives us through Jesus Christ. That it's only with Jesus in our lives. It is only because of the shed blood of the Lamb that we can feel at peace. Got a couple of scriptures that I want to read. From Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And from Philippians 4 verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And i got to say, Philippians 4-7 is one of those most mysterious and yet comforting verses in New Testament Scripture for me. The idea of a peace 
that surpasses our human understanding. Think about that for a minute. If you've ever had that moment, church, that moment where just in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of stress, in the midst of grief, that there was this sort of calmness that came over you when you just gave something to God. And so when Paul writes it right there, He's saying, and I think he's speaking from experience, but that God gives us a peace that we can't explain or fully understand. But yet, when you receive it, you know it. And if you've ever received it, you know it. I think I've told the story once before, but I'm reminded of uh, Norman Lyle, one of the guys that I worked for when I worked for Lyle Energy before I, I went into ministry. And uh, Norman was telling me, and this is after I'd gone into ministry and some years later, that Norman and I uh, ran into each other. And uh, Norman was telling me, you know, as I said, well, Norman, how have things been in your life? He said, oh, well, Greg, he said, I bet you didn't know I had to have heart surgery. I said, no. Now, in that area of southern Kentucky, most heart patients went north to Louisville to Jewish Hospital. That was the big heart center uh, in that part of the country. And so there he is on the, in the ambulance uh, taking a trip up Interstate 65 to Louisville. And he said, and Greg, he said, I just prayed. I was so scared. Now, Norman's a big man. Norman was, man, Norman was like, I don't know, 6'3", and uh, he was just a big, burly guy, had worked in the oil field all his, all, all his life, I mean, since back in the 1950s. And, uh, and I'd never heard Norman use that kind of language about his life and about his state of being. And to say, Greg, I was scared. Because if you ever worked with Norman, you really couldn't imagine him being scared of anything. That's just, uh, he had worked in the oil fields and had run crews and worked with roughnecks, as they're called, and uh, was a roughneck at one time in his life. And so, uh, you know, uh, Norman was a guy when I was out in the field with him. And, uh, I, well, I won't go into all that, but let's just say Norman would ask me for a tool and I would need, you know, need Norman to be more specific. And Norman laughed at me a few times, uh, you know. And so, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I remember handing Norman, you know, 24-inch pipe wrenches and things like that, things that weighed more than anything that's in my toolbox. And, and so, but Norman to be looking at me and saying, Greg, I was scared because it was his life that was on the line, Right? When you're bad enough in bad enough condition that they're putting you in that ambulance and they're saying, we got to get you to the hospital where they can do bypass surgery right now. And so Norman says, I'm in the back of that ambulance going up I-65. And he said, and I just had nowhere else to turn but God. And he said, Greg, after I prayed, he said, I can't describe it. He said it was just this feeling of calm that came over me. And I said, Norman, I understand that feeling. That the Bible tells us that we will receive a peace that is beyond our understanding. Praise God. 
for that mystery. But praise God for that reality. That He gives us a peace that is just so amazing, just so wonderful that we can't understand it. Praise God that He gives us peace in the midst of turmoil in our lives. He gives us things just in time. Because God is a God of peace. I want to read from... uh, This is a a book that was on my shelf and uh, I, I read from time to time. It's called God in the Manger and it's Reflections on Christmas by a German minister and Christian author named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was uh, put to death at the hands of none other than Adolf Hitler. And uh, Bonhoeffer writes these things. We have something to hide. We have secrets, worries, thoughts, hopes, desires, passions which no one else gets to know. We are sensitive when people get near those domains with their questions. And now, against all rules of tact, the Bible speaks of the truth that in the end we will appear before Christ with everything we are and were. And we all know that we could justify ourselves before any human court, but not before this one. Lord, who can justify themselves? Out of His selfless love, out of His sinless nature, Jesus enters into the guilt of human beings. He takes it upon Himself, a sinless nature and guilt bearing are bound together in Him. And the sinless one, Jesus, takes guilt upon himself. And under the burden of this guilt, he shows that he is the sinless one. And where I'm going with this church is that this is the ultimate reason of why we celebrate the birth of the Savior. Because of what we know that Savior does for us later, right? Lord Jesus, come yourself and dwell with us. Be human as we are and overcome what overwhelms us. Come into the midst of my evil. Come close to my unfaithfulness. Share my sin, which I hate and which I cannot leave. Be my brother, thou holy God. Be my brother in the kingdom of evil and suffering and death. Sermons that he preached in the late 20s and early 30s. And so church family, in closing, uh, I just want to say that this light that came into the world brings us peace. It brings us a peace that we can never fully grasp or understand. But praise God that God loves us enough to provide us that peace. Praise God that He loved us enough to let Jesus take on the guilt and the shame of the cross. That that sin that we don't like, 
but that sin that we have trouble getting away from, that Jesus died even for that sin. That He shed His blood even for that sin. A God who doesn't say, clean up your life and then you're good enough to come and worship Me. No. A God who says, come as you are. Come in your pajamas if you have to. Come with a greasy head because you didn't have no water pressure if you have to. But just come. As a matter of fact, the only time that Jesus ever teaches that we shouldn't come and worship Him is when there is something going on between us and someone else. And He says, before you come and leave your gift at the altar, go to that person that you think you might have offended. And you go and make peace with them. In other words, Jesus says, before you come and worship Me, before you come and worship My Father, go patch things up with that person that you're currently in a state of disagreement with. Because as we talked about last week, church, what are our two jobs, right? To love God and to love others. And that when Jesus teaches His disciples how to pray, He says, Lord, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Hey, Baker. Just a happy child. But yeah, God says, hey, you want me to forgive you? Learn to be good at forgiving other people. And it's a challenge. No one pretends it's easy. But this God who loves us enough to shed His blood for us, this God who loves us enough to give us His peace is a God that helps us work through all the challenges, all the difficulties, all the pits of misery that we might find ourselves in. And that church family is not just good news. That is great news. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet availed yourself to salvation through the blood of the Lamb, then we offer an invitation so that you can come forward and say one simple thing. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We've seen it with a couple of folks lately and we've been able to rejoice with a couple of recent baptisms. We praise God for that. But there's room in God's kingdom for more. And so we give you the chance to enter the waters of baptism and change your life forever. And if you're here this morning and you have something that's weighing on you and you'd appreciate the prayers of this body, then we invite you to come for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing.